Hey guys, how's it going? Thanks for tuning in to the YFYI podcast. I'm your host, Sunny D. Thanks for being here. On this episode you're about to listen to, uh, this is a live recording from Storytime, and we're covering the Starbucks company. This is part four of the story, and this one is a doozy, because just as we think things are moving in the right direction, a fired up young Howard Schultz, who became the chairman and CEO of the company, comes back and tests his brilliant idea of espresso bars, um, which have amazing success, but then the owners are like, that's great, it worked, but we're not doing it, let's move on. And Howard decides to quit. So here are the nitty gritty, here are the details, let me take you behind the scenes of how that all unfolds on this episode. So sit back, buckle up, this is gonna be a good one. Um, You're gonna enjoy, so here we go with our story time, the Starbucks story, part four. All right, here we go. Here we go, here we go, good morning, good morning, good morning. What's going on out there? How's everybody doing? How are you guys feeling today? Hopefully you guys are feeling good, looking good, feeling great, ready to roll. Welcome to another edition of Storytime. Good morning. I'm your host this morning. It's me, Sunny D. What's up, what's up? Just trying to figure out a couple of things here. Trying to figure out how how my little uh, green screen is going to be working on Instagram, depending on where you're joining. You know, I've got this I've got this pretty sick green screen going on when it comes to the um, the Facebook pages, so I'm able to share and create the look that I'm going for on there, but it hasn't been the same on Instagram. So maybe some of you guys know how to do it. Maybe some of you guys know how to operate it. Like I've got it on there, but it's not, um, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not working the same way. So I've been working on that this morning. Starting a little earlier today, I've got a pretty busy day ahead of me. So this is the first part of the day and then I'm gonna be off and running, going to the salons, taking care of some business. I'm gonna do some hair a little bit later. It's gonna be good times. But this is our story time. Every morning I come to you. This is actually episode number 38. So 38 times we've had story time. So depending on if you're watching, if you're listening, if you're um, wherever you're tuning in from. And what I do with story time, the reason I started story time was I wanted to start reading, um, just doing some live reads and reading and expanding on the two books that, that I wrote, the YFYI book series. And then after I finished those, I was like 24 episodes in, I'm like, you know what, I wanna keep the party going. Um, So I decided to start doing other companies, start, you know, checking in with some of the, some of my favorite companies, some of the most iconic brands that um, are out there and sharing some of their stories. And through that, hopefully inspire you. I know I'm getting inspired and I've read through these books before, but now coming back through them, like my mind is like, you know, it's it's catching things that I didn't catch the first time. And a lot of times that'll happen. You know, when you read a book the first time, you'll hear it, you know, from wherever you're at at that point in your life. But then the second time you hear it, you'll, you know, it'll hit you in a whole nother way. And so that's kind of what's been going on as I've been going back through these books. And we're covering some great companies. I got a long list of different companies that I'm going to be going through from uh, McDonald's, the Ritz-Carlton, Starbucks, Ikea, Patron. Um, of course, you know, my, 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 one, my one love company, Paul Mitchell, I'm going to definitely share their story. I was thinking about that. I've got so much information and personal experiences working with them. We're going to save that one for, you know, for a special episode. I don't know. Maybe we'll do like um, a tribute episode or something with that one. I'm not sure when. But all these different companies that I'm going through, sharing their stories and you know, sharing just some of my takes, insights, things that I pick up and things that I'm picking up again the second time that I'm, I'm going through these. 
and we're streaming live on a couple different Facebook pages. We're streaming live on Instagram. We're streaming uh, live broadcast audio on Twitter. On Twitter, I'm at Sunny DTS DTS on Twitter, and then we've also got the podcast going on. So depending on how you want to consume, you can listen, you can watch, you can listen and watch, you can replay. You know, there's going to be a lot of different ways to consume. So if you're just jumping on here, if you want to share the stream, I'll let people know what's going on. I'm sharing it on another page, on another Facebook page right now. Um, we're going to get into, this is going to be part four. And what we're talking about, what we've been going through this week, is this company, you may have heard of it, called Starbucks. Now, I came, I was a late, you know, I guess you could say like late adopter. Like everybody, you know, knew about Starbucks, drank Starbucks. I wasn't really into Starbucks. I really wasn't into coffee. I don't even think I was into coffee really until I got into the beauty industry. I started working at the first salon. Um, the only other salon I ever worked at besides my own and they had coffee every morning and so I guess kind of like to fit in I was like well I guess I'm gonna I guess I'm gonna try coffee and I couldn't stand it it was gross I was like ugh, this is garbage um, I knew it was garbage I should have never started drinking this stuff um, but you kind of get used to garbage right and you start drinking it and then um, you see people that are, you know, the connoisseurs, you know, they're coming in with Starbucks and like, ooh, what's that? And I'm like always thinking, oh, that's, you know, that's what, you know, fancy people drink. That's what the fancy, um, the fancy coffee drinkers drink Starbucks. And I was like, yeah, I'm not, number one, I was like, I'm not a coffee drinker. I'm just doing it to kind of fit in. And number two, I was like, I'm definitely not a fancy coffee drinker. And then number three, you know, I was just getting started in my career, so my broke ass couldn't afford Starbucks. And I found out like how much, you know, and people are coming in with these tall, you know, they call it the venti, right? The tall one. And I'm finding out that even the small, which they you know the, the small is called the tall, but the tall is called the venti. So the tall that's actually the small is still like five bucks. And so me being a broke, you know, new stylist just getting started. I'm like, yeah, okay, I can't afford that. There's no way I can afford that. So I'm not a coffee drinker. You know, at that time, I said to myself, that's great because I'm drinking a free coffee, you know, at the salon, and that's going to be the extent of my coffee coverage. Um, but later on, you know, as I started to become a little bit more successful, I decided, you know, I was going to treat myself and try the Starbucks um, and really been a fan ever since because I realized there's so many different ways you can make coffee I'm still pretty simple when it comes to that. I'm not like fancy like I drink a cafe latte um, I make Starbucks at my house. I drink cafe latte Sometimes I'll have tea, but um, you know, I do do a little steam milk, you know, it's espresso uh, I've got some of their classic um, Syrup I put a couple pumps in there and I'm out. The, I'm out the door so to speak um, out of the kitchen and I'm ready to roll but that's only part of it and you know the reason that we're covering this company isn't because of the coffee and that was just how I got introduced but because it's one of the great iconic brands that almost never existed you know I was talking about this as we're kind of building the story and the book that I'm reading from is pour your heart into it it's by Howard Schultz who is the um, chairman and CEO he's moved on now he's doing other things um, but he's written different, a few different books. Um, that's one of them. He's got another book that he wrote. It's called Onward. Um, great, great, great book. Definitely recommend it as well. Um, and there's a lot of people that have written books about the company Starbucks. You know, the guy that wrote the book, uh, The New Gold Standard on the Ritz-Carlton Company that I covered a couple weeks ago, he also wrote uh, The Starbucks Experience. And Joseph Michelli, author, amazing author. So there's lots of different books. Um, the reason I'm really getting into this one because this was Howard's book that he first like wrote and um, it goes into that origin story and that's what story time is about. We get into those origin stories that you probably wouldn't hear unless you're you know, nerding out and you're getting into you know, wanting to know uh, more about a certain company and really digging into it. You're probably not going to hear a lot of these stories. And so that's where I'm kind of focused on some of that origin story, some of the behind the scenes stuff. You know, when we see Starbucks today, we see this amazing, 
you know, company with all these stores everywhere and a lot of people think it's expensive and this and that. Um, it's a place to hang out. Well, it used to be before the coronavirus, a place to hang out. You know, you bring your laptop. Usually they have pretty decent Wi-Fi. They've got okay music going on. And you go in there and you spend five bucks on a coffee and that's what you do. Um, and it's one of those things where you know, it's not a it's not a necessity, but it's a it's a nicety. You know, it's a nice thing to be able to have an experience, and that's where Starbucks kind of started um, for me when I started going in there. And especially, I've used it, you know, as an office. You know, it's a great place if you're um, having meetings. You know, you can use it as an office space. Um, you can go in and you know meet people there. I've done interviews there. Um, some of our salons we have offices, some we don't. So if there's a nearby Starbucks, it's a great it's a great meeting spot. Um, you see lots of different things happen in there. People use it as a study hall. People use it as a classroom. People use it, you know, if they work from home just to get out of their house. So it's kind of become that community space as well. But the the essence of why it all started like that, you know, we're finding out as we're, the story's developing, and I'm gonna. Um, be kind of fast forwarding, you know, through some of these pieces, um, but I want to give you the essence of it. So, you know, Howard Schultz goes and works at this company, gets the job, and he goes on this trip to Italy and sees all of these amazing espresso bars, and he's like, "This is a this is incredible! Like, why don't we have this, you know, in the United States of America? Like, we've got a great little store." or they, I think they had like four or five stores in Seattle, but they just bagged up coffee beans and sold them. So people would go home and then they would do their thing. So he's thinking to himself and he's like, you know, why don't we have um, these coffee experiences, these coffee, you know, espresso bars in the United States? Like, what's up with that? And so as he's thinking about this, he's looking at, um, he's looking at it and he's like, we need to try it. So when he comes back from Italy, he's he's pumped up. Um, so let's see what's going on in the comments here. So I've studied for tons of tests for beauty school at a Starbucks. Yeah, free Wi-Fi. The Wi-Fi is pretty pretty good, uh, you know. And so he comes back and he's got like he's pumped, and that's where we're kind of jumping back into the story. So he's pumped. He's like, yeah, we got to do this espresso bar. I've seen these all over Italy. Um, everybody's you know there. They're hanging out. Da, 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 da. So he comes back, he's ready to roll, and that's the idea um, in his head, and he can't get it out of his head. Um, so let's let's look at a little quote here as we get this, this portion of the story of Starbucks started. So whenever you see a successful business, someone made a courageous decision. So he comes back, and he's got this idea in his head, he can't get it out of his head, and he wants to take it to the, the owners. He wants to take it to the guys who started the business and say, hey, you know, we should try this, this whole um, espresso bar, you know, concept that I've seen all over Italy. We need to try that. And so he goes on to say, back to the story. Have you ever had a brilliant idea, one that blows you away, only to have the people who can make it a reality tell you it's not worth pursuing? That's what happened to me on my return to Seattle from Italy. I thought I'd come upon a truly extraordinary insight, one that could serve as the foundation for a whole new industry and change the way Americans drank coffee. To my bosses, however, I was an overexcited marketing director. Starbucks was a retailer, not a restaurant or a bar, they argued. Serving espresso drinks would put them in the beverage business, a move they feared would dilute the integrity of what they envisioned the mission of a coffee store could to be. So they also pointed to Starbucks' success. The company was small, closely held, private, and profitable every year. Why rock the boat? But as I was to learn, there was a more immediate reason my idea didn't appeal. Jerry was considering an opportunity that excited him far more. The story of Starbucks has some unexpected twists and turns, but none so strange as the one that happened next in 1984. Starbucks bought Pete's Coffee and Tea. And I'm going to jump in here for a second. So we talked a little bit about, you know, Pete's Coffee and Tea. Um, if you travel around there, you know, I think more west. Um, I've, seen, I've seen them in different airports as I'm traveling. 
Um, so they exist today as Pete's Coffee and Tea. But at this point in 1984, Starbucks had the opportunity to buy them and actually Starbucks bought Pete's Coffee and Tea. So just back to the story, just how that occurred is a part of Starbucks history that isn't often told. Since Pete's and Starbucks are now competitors in the San Francisco Bay Area, most customers don't know they were once intertwined. It was like the son buying out the father. Starbucks founders had, after all, drawn inspiration from Pete's and learned their roasting skills at the elbow of Alfred Pete. But Alfred Pete had sold the business in 1979, and by 1983, the new owner was ready to sell. To Jerry Baldwin, it was the chance of a lifetime and a much more promising way of expanding than opening espresso bars. As a purist, he still regarded Pete's as the ultimate in coffee purveyors. It was the same size as Starbucks, with about five stores. But in Jerry's mind, Pete's would always be the real thing, the originator of dark roasted coffee in America. The Seattle market, he thought, was already well served, while San Francisco and Northern California, a much larger area, offered plenty of room to grow. To fund the acquisition, Starbucks went deeply into debt. The day we acquired Pete's, I recall, we had a debt to equity ratio of six to one. Only in the go-go 1980s would the banks have made such a deal. My heart sank when we took on that burden. It tied our hands and deprived, of, deprived us of the flexibility to try out new ideas. The company was now so heavily leveraged that there would be no money available for growth or innovation. The task of consolidating Starbucks and Pete's proved more difficult than we had imagined. Despite a shared preference for dark roasted coffee, our company cultures clashed. While Starbucks people felt gratitude and respect for Pete's legacy, Pete's people feared an unknown Seattle upstart coming to swallow them up. What's more, the acquisition distracted management's attention. For most of 1984, the managers of Starbucks were flying back and forth between San Francisco and Seattle. I myself went there every other week to oversee Pete's marketing and retail operations. Some Starbucks employees began to feel neglected. In one quarter, they didn't receive their usual bonus. They went to Jerry with a request for more equitable pay for benefits, specifically for part-timers and for a reinstatement of their bonuses. But his focus was elsewhere and he didn't respond. Angry employees from the plan eventually circulated a petition to invite the union in. So I'm going to jump in here. So they got all this, this like chaos going on, right? They want to like acquire Pete's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Pete's was their big brother. Pete's inspired them. And then they got the opportunity to buy Pete's. They're like, yeah, it's a great opportunity, you know, and that's not where Howard is, right? Because Howard's thinking like, we need to try this espresso bar concept, like try serving coffee, not just bagging up beans and selling them. But he's the newcomer, right? He's new in the game. I mean, he owns a little piece, but he's not majority. He's not, he's, he's the new guy. So it's kind of like, yeah, okay, this is what we're doing. We're going to acquire Pete's. So now we go from five stores to 10 stores, essentially. And we're going to expand into some Northern California markets. And so that's what they, that's what they decided to do. But then, you know, you got, you know, the employees are getting mad. They're bringing in the union so the union can speak on behalf of the employees and regulate. Um, so that's where it goes. So they lose trust in some of the management and they're looking at it like, you know, Howard's looking at it one way and they're looking at it a whole nother way. And so now they're in debt, right? They're leveraged. They, they, they borrow, you know, six to one. So for every $6 of, you know, debt, essentially $1 of equity, which is not a good way to be. That's kind of upside down. Um, so they lose the leverage and the control. They can't expand. They can't try new things. So they really, they can't try Howard's idea right now. And, but he's not going to let it go, right? We already know that's not how he is. Um, or Starbucks wouldn't be here today. He's going to keep on pushing, keep on pushing, just like when they didn't want to hire him. They're like, nope, sorry. Um, nice idea, but we're, we're cool. He keeps pushing, right? That's how he is. And that's how he's become, uh, or you know, how Starbucks became. And so he's got that idea in his head. He's not trying to give it up. Um, and they're, you know, in trouble with their staff and in trouble with this whole expansion. And so now we're going to talk about like proving out this concept. So in many companies, 
Back to the story. In many companies, mid-level managers and even entry-level employees become impassioned evangelists for risky, bold ideas. It's important that managers listen to those ideas and be willing to test them and implement them, even if the CEO is skeptical. I learned this truth first as an employee of Starbucks in 1984 and later as CEO. As boss, if you close your ears to new ideas, you may end up closing off great opportunities for your company. It took me nearly a year to convince Jerry to test the idea of serving espresso. Preoccupied with the Pete's acquisition and concerned about changing the core nature of Starbucks, he didn't consider it a high priority. My frustration got more intense with each passing month. Finally, Jerry agreed to test an espresso bar when Starbucks opened its sixth store at the corner of 4th and Spring in downtown Seattle in April of 1984. This was the first Starbucks location designed to sell coffee as a beverage as well as coffee beans by the pound. It was also the company's first downtown location in the heart of Seattle's business district. I was certain Seattle's office workers would fall in love with espresso bars the same way I had in Milan in 1983. I asked for half the 1,500 square foot space to set up a full Italian style espresso bar, but I got only 300 square feet. My great experiment had to be crammed into a small corner behind a stand-up bar with no room for tables or chairs or lines and only a tiny counter space to hold milk and sugar. Although I was forced to realize my dream on a far smaller scale, than I had planned, I was sure that the results would bear out the soundness of my instincts. So they open the store and they're like, yeah, um, test out your little espresso idea over there in the corner. So how's that for welcome, <laughs> welcoming your, your new idea? You know, and, I've, and I shared this with you guys when we were going through um, your first year in, uh, this one right here, your first year in salon ownership. Um, some of the the, the concepts that I tested out, you know, as a salon owner, um, opening an entire salon with a new concept. So the entire space and, you know, it, it, it wasn't ready. It wasn't, you know, fully flushed out, but to test it and be willing to gamble on that. And that's where entrepreneurs' minds are. And, you know, so Howard's got this idea and he wants to test it. He wants the opportunity. And so he doesn't get it quite, but he does... Um, get that little corner of the store to, to test his idea. And really it's called proof of concept. You know, so if you have an idea and you bring it, you know, to the um, to the owner, maybe they're open-minded, hopefully they're open-minded because I know for me, you know, for 100%, like I don't have all the, the best ideas um, for the company. I'm willing to test ideas for sure. Like I'm willing to, you know, gamble, I'm willing to roll the dice. And it's not like gambling in Las Vegas. It's not like gambling at the Hard Rock Casino. Um, it's a gamble on, you know, the success of your company and your future. So it's actually the stakes are higher than it would be in a casino, really. Um, but there's a lot more calculation that comes into it. It's not, you know, like the the deck is stacked against you. Like in the casino, it's designed not for you to win, because if everybody won, the casino would be out of business. Right, the casino is designed for the house to win, so that's the way it works in a casino. Like, and people go, and it's more entertainment than anything else. You're not going there to try to, you know, make your rent payment. Hopefully, you're not, um, or to make your your bills or to put gas in your car. You're going there to have fun. You're not going to win um, the majority of the time. Yeah, you might win once in a while, but at the end of the day, those casinos aren't so big. Um, and those hotels and everything aren't so big because they're giving away money. So when you're gambling on your business, that's the kind of gambling I like to do. Gamble on yourself, bet on yourself, bet on your business, bet on your idea, bet on your concept. So they're not so open to that, but they're gonna give them a little little corner, little corner in the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the space to try out this idea. And so this is his opportunity, you know, and he's really gotta seize this opportunity because if he doesn't, you know, then it's kind of like the conversation's over. Uh, but we'll see. Let's see what Howard does here. Just taking a sip of my little cafe latte. All right. So he's got this little corner. <clears throat> and he says, 
We didn't plan any pre-opening marketing blitz and didn't even put up a sign announcing now serving espresso. We decided to just open our doors and see what happened. On that April morning in 1984, unseasonably cool, there was drizzle in the air, but it wasn't raining hard. The plan was to open the store at 7 a.m., two hours earlier than usual. I arrived at 6.30 and looked anxiously out the floor to ceiling windows at the streets. Only the most devoted office workers were striding up the steep slopes of downtown Seattle streets at this hour. I began pacing around inside the store and to keep myself occupied helped with last minute preparations and rearranging. On the left stood our usual whole bean counter stocked with bins of coffee. Behind it, a coffee expert in a brown Starbucks grocer's apron checked his metal scoop, his scale, and his grinding machine. He verified that each of the bin draw labels correctly indicated its contents and readied a row of rubber stamps that would be used to mark each bag of coffee sold with its varietal name. He straightened the mugs and coffee makers and tea canisters on their shelves along the wall, products already familiar to Seattle Starbucks fans. In the right rear corner of the store, my experiment was about to begin. Just like baristas in Milan, two enthusiastic employees were working a gleaming chrome machine, pulling shots of espresso and practicing their newly acquired skill of steaming milk to a foam for cappuccinos. At 7 a.m. sharp, we unlock the door. One by one, curious people begin walking in on their way to their offices. Many ordered a regular cup of coffee. Others asked about the unfamiliar espresso drinks listed on the Italian menu. The baristas were jazzed about the new drinks and enjoyed explaining what each contained. They recommended the drink I had discovered in Verona, one that many customers had never heard of, cafe latte, espresso with steamed milk. As far as I know, America was first introduced to cafe latte that morning. I watched several people take their first sip, as I had most open their eyes wide responding first to the unaccustomed burst of intense flavor. They hesitated, then sipped again, savoring the sweet warmth of the milk. I saw smiles as the full richness of the drink filled their mouths. The pace quickened during the early morning rush and then tapered off. It was awkward serving people in the cramped back corner of the store. Customers jammed into that small space on the right while the retail counter stood empty. If that store had been a ship, it would have capsized. From the minute we opened, <clears throat> this much was clear to me. Starbucks had entered a different business. There could be no turning back. By closing time, about 400 customers had passed through the door, a much higher tally than the average customer count of 250 at Starbucks' best-performing bean stores. More important, I could feel the first ripples of that same warm social interaction and engaging artistry that had captivated me in Italy. I went home that day as high as I've ever been. As weeks went on, business grew, almost all on the beverage side. Within two months, the store was serving 800 customers a day. The baristas couldn't make espressos fast enough and lines began snaking out the door onto the sidewalk. Whenever I stopped to check on the progress of my experiment, customers came up to me, eager to share their enthusiasm. The response was overwhelming. The 4th and Spring store became a gathering place and its atmosphere was electric. I thrived on it. So did the small cohort of Starbucks people who had supported the idea, people like Gay Niven, a merchandise buyer at Starbucks since 1979, and Deborah Tip Hawk whom I had hired in 1982 to manage a store. Here were the test results I was looking for. With the success of the first espresso bar, I began to imagine many further possibilities. We could open coffee stores around the city, all dedicated to serving espresso drinks. These would become not only a catalyst, but also a vehicle for introducing a new, broader base of customers to Starbucks coffee. Surely, I thought, the popularity of 4th and Spring would overcome any doubts Jerry Baldwin still had. 
He would see as vividly as I did the great opportunity that had arisen to take Starbucks to a whole new level. Once again, my bubble burst. So he's super pumped. People are coming through, ordering, ordering, ordering. Coffee's flying. He's like, jackpot, right? Not so, not so, not so fast. Not so fast there, Howard. Back to the stories. To Jerry, the very success of that store felt wrong. <clears throat> Although I continued to have enormous respect for him, Jerry and I viewed the coffee business and the world differently. To him, espresso drinks were a distraction from the core business of selling exquisite Arabica coffee beans at retail. He didn't want customers to think of Starbucks as a place to get a quick cup of coffee to go. To me, espresso was the heart and soul of the coffee experience. The point of a coffee store was not just to teach customers about fine coffee, but to show them how to enjoy it. I must have seemed a real nuisance to Jerry during the months following the fourth and spring opening. Each day I would rush into his office, showing him the sales figures and the customer counts. He couldn't deny that the venture was succeeding, but he still didn't want to go forward with it. Jerry and I never had an argument throughout the entire course of our professional relationship, but we both recognized that we had reached an impasse, that our disagreement was not over merely a new twist on business, but over what could potentially represent a sea change for the company. Shrewd as he was, he knew there was a fire burning inside me, a fire there was no way to put out. After weeks of trying to convince him, I strode into Jerry's office one day, resolved to have a conclusive discussion about the issue. The customers are telling us something, I said. This is a big idea. We've got to keep moving on it. We're coffee roasters. I don't want to be in the restaurant business, he said wearily, realizing we were going to have yet another run through of this topic. It's not the restaurant business, I insisted. We're giving people a chance to enjoy our coffee the way it's supposed to be prepared. Howard, listen to me. It's just not the right thing to do. If we focus too much on serving coffee, we'll become just another restaurant or cafeteria. It may seem reasonable each step of the way, but in the end, we'll lose our coffee roots. But we're reconnecting with our coffee roots, I argued. This will bring more people into our stores. Seeing my determination, Jerry sat silently at his desk for a few minutes, his arms folded in front of him until he finally offered. Maybe we can put espresso machines in the back of one or two other stores. It could be so much bigger than that, I repeated, knowing that if I accepted that concession, it would be the farthest I would ever be able to take the company. Starbucks doesn't need to be any bigger than it is. If you get too many customers in and out, you can't get to know them the way we have always we always have. In Italy, the baristas know their customers, I answered. Besides, we're too deeply in debt to consider pursuing this idea. Even if we wanted to, we couldn't afford to. He stood up and prepared to leave for home, but seeing my reluctance to end the conversation, added firmly, I'm sorry, Howard. We aren't going to do it. You'll have to live with that. I was depressed for months, paralyzed by uncertainty. I felt torn in two by conflicting feelings, loyalty to Starbucks, and confidence in my vision for Italian-style espresso bars. So this is where he's kind of really hitting the, um, you know, he's hitting the wall there. So what do you do, right? So you're in a position where he's got this idea. It's rocking. It's rolling. It's moving. Sales are up. But the guy that's going to make the decision, you know, the, the owner, uh, one of the main owners is like, no, I'm not trying to do it. And so he's at a point where he's thinking, you know, I, I got to figure this out. Like, I, I need to make this happen. And this is where, like, there's there's no way. I mean, if you go into a Starbucks right now and ask, uh, I mean, I don't know. I'd, I'd be willing to probably bet that, you know, none of the, none of the, a lot of the people there, I would say, not none. I'm sure there are some um, that may not even know about the Pete's thing. But this next part is even crazier. So he's at a point where he's, um, He's like, you know what, I got to do this. And so he's pushing on him and he's not trying to, you know, Jerry's not trying to hear it. And Howard's busy, you know, he's flying back and forth to San Francisco. 
He's trying to find you know ways to consolidate operations to, of the two companies. Um, and then he's just got this idea in his head and he won't let it go. He, it's too like, it's in his head so strong and it's in his heart and it's in his mind so strong. He's like, I can't let it go, cannot let it go. Um, so here, let's find out what happens. So Howard's meeting with a friend of his and he's talking to him, his name's Scott, he's a corporate lawyer. Um, and his job is to advise companies on many matters including private placements and public stock offerings. So he tells Scott, when I told him I was thinking of going independent and opening espresso bars, he said he thought investors might be interested. Gradually, in talking over my ideas with Scott and Sherry, I realized what I had to do. This is my moment, I thought. If I don't seize the opportunity, if I don't step out of my comfort zone and risk it all, if I let too much time tick on, my moment will pass. I knew that if I didn't take advantage of this opportunity, I would replay it in my mind for my whole life, wondering what if, why didn't I? This was my shot. Even if it didn't work out, I still had to try. I made up my mind to leave Starbucks and start my own company. My idea was to open stores that would serve coffee by the cup and espresso drinks, concentrating on high traffic downtown locations. I wanted to recreate the romance and artistry and community I had seen in Italy. It took several months of planning, but I finally made the move. Knowing how frustrated I had become, Jerry and Gordon supported the idea. They let me stay on in my job and at my office until I was ready to move in late 1985. So that's a plot twist, right? The guy, he wrote the book, right? He leaves, he's like, I'm out, I'm gone. I'm gonna go do my own thing, I'm gonna go start my own. So he leaves the company and literally is like, you know what? I love this company, I love everything about it, but I'm out of here, I'm gonna go start my own thing. And so he leaves in 1985. In some respects, leaving to start my own company took a lot of courage. Just as I made up my mind, we found out that Sherry was pregnant. Without my salary, we would have to live on her income until I could get the new company up and running. She was willing to go back to work soon after the baby was born in January. But I hated the fact that because of my decision, she had no choice. But at some level, I felt I'd been preparing for this step my entire life. Ironically, it ran counter to the values my parents had taught me. From my dad, I learned that quitting a job causes instability and disruption in the family. My mother's constant refrain was, you have a good job, why quit? But I saw the move as consistent with my life stream, my earliest desires to do something for myself and for my family, to achieve something unique, to be in control of my own destiny. The insecurity, the desire for respect, the burning need to rise far above the circumstances of my parents' struggles all came together in that defining moment. My close friend Kenny G later told me about a similar experience in his life. In the 1980s, he was in an established band and a secure, with secure position and income. This was long before he became famous as a jazz saxophonist, but he realized that he would have to leave the band if he was ever to find his own sound. Musically speaking, he went out and did exactly that. If he hadn't, today, he'd just be a saxophone player in some little known band. What distinguishes the talented person who makes it from the person who has even more talent but doesn't get ahead? Look at the aspiring actors waiting tables in New York as an example. Many of them probably no less gifted than stars like Robert De Niro and Susan Sarandon. Part of what constitutes success is timing and chance, but most of us have to create our own opportunities and be prepared to jump when we see a big one others can't see. It's one thing to dream, but when the moment is right, you gotta be willing to leave what's familiar and go out to find your own sound. That's what I did in 1985. If I hadn't, Starbucks wouldn't be what it is today. So that's a little bit of a plot twist, a big plot twist. So he leaves Starbucks, the company that he moved 3,000 miles across the country with Sherry, you know, his wife now, left a great job in New York City, moves across the country, goes to Seattle to work for this little known 
you know, four store, four coffee shop place or selling beans, um, is loving it there, doing his thing. And then all of the sudden, he gets to a point where he's now leaving Starbucks because this, this, you know, this, uh, this inspiration that he got from going to Italy and seeing these espresso bars and this idea that's built up and it's bubbling inside of him, he can't shake it. He can't get it out of his head. He's got to try this. Um, so he leaves to go start these espresso bars. He's like, you know what? If I can't do it with Starbucks, I'm going to do it without Starbucks. Now, the crazy part is when he leaves... He's, I mean, he's got, and he's got the support. He's got the support. It's not a, it's not, you know, like the, the owners, they're probably like, you know what? He won't let this thing go. We just want to sell coffee beans. You know, if he wants to go, let him go. And that's probably what they're thinking. Uh, but at the same time, they, he's got their support. They just really feel like getting into the, the coffee service business versus the coffee supply business is something that um, they're not interested in. Um, but there's going to be a few other plot twists um, that happen that are going to surprise you guys. Um, when we come back together, you're going to have to wait for the next part, for the next episode of Storytime. We're going to finish there today. Um, that is Howard is leaving to start these espresso bars. Um, but as the story and tomorrow, we're going to be um, wrapping up our Starbucks story uh, with part five. And you're going to see as... He leaves because obviously we know, you know, something happened um, and he went on to take Starbucks and make it what it's become. Um, but he leaves and sometimes, you know, you're going to get inspired and you're going to get you're going to get pushed in a direction that at the time uh, may not make sense. Uh, you might be thinking like, why, why am I going to do this? You know, but something inside of you. And I always talk about there's two things that we operate from. There's, we have two minds. And we have one mind that's in our head. And we have another mind that's in our chest. I call it the heart mind. And sometimes they're in sync. And they're like, yeah, let's do this. And they're working together. And then sometimes they're totally out of sync. I remember when I went to uh, Paul Mitchell to school. You know, I picked up, you know, I was working at a restaurant. I was bartending at the time. Uh, making great money. Trying to figure out my life plan. And all of a sudden, these hairstylists come in, recruit me to go do a hair show, and I end up, you know, at this hair show, just getting blown away by the whole atmosphere, everything that was going on. It seemed like so much fun. I was like, man, I want to be a part of this. And I was working as a as a hair model for Paul Mitchell, and in that moment, in that weekend, I had one of those epiphany moments, like Howard had when he was in Italy, where I saw like kind of like you know my life flash in front of my eyes, and I was like, you know what? I want to be a part of this. I'm going to be a part of this company. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to quit my job. I saw, like I saw, I was like, I'm going to quit my job. And I heard about these schools. They didn't have that many. They only had a few. They had like up north in Rhode Island and California and down in Florida. And I was talking to the main guy at the show. And he's like, yeah, you know, he finds out I'm a bartender. He's like, yeah, Florida, um, you know, the service. If you're in a service business, be easy for you to work down there. There's restaurants everywhere. I'm sure if you're a bartender, you'll be fine. Um, so I'm like, all right, cool. And I saw it like in a weekend, in a few days, I saw it all flash in front of my eyes where I was like quitting my job, packing all my shit in the car, getting the U-Haul, driving to a place I'd never seen before, didn't know how much the school cost, didn't know anything about the area, didn't know anything. And I just did it. Um, and you have sometimes those things where your mind and your head, like logically, that doesn't make any sense. Like, how are you going to survive? You start going through all these things that are that are normal and they're, like I said, logical to consider. You've got no, you don't have that much money. You've got barely any money. You don't know anybody. You don't know where you're going to live. Um, you don't even know about, you know, the school, the place. You don't even know if you'll be good. You never did this really before. So now you're going to drop everything and just go on a whim. That's crazy. And that's what this mind says. But then this mind is, you know, on the other hand, is like, just do it. You know, this mind is like, yeah, go, go, go. And, you know, sometimes you just got to, you got to pull the trigger. Uh, like my screensaver says on my phone, which I've showed, I've showed you guys. I'm using um, them right now, so I can't show it to you, but I'll, I'll send it to you. 
um, if you want. And it's a reminder that sometimes you just got to do it. You just, I mean, you're never going to have all the answers. You're never going to like those, those two minds, the heart mind and the mind mind, um, they may never be in sync, you know, and, and a lot of times, especially when you're about to um, take a chance and you're about to go and try something new or you're, you know, it's like, you know, you, you know, the girl or the guy that you see and you're like, oh, I should talk to them. And then you don't and you're afraid um, or, you know, you know, like you want to ask her on a date and then you don't do it. And then you're like, boom, and then you have that what if or that business opportunity. You got that what if or that job and, you know, you're going to go and you don't. And uh, what if you never know. But the thing about it is having a what if live you know like yesterday I'll give you a classic example yesterday found out you know they're gonna launch this you know space shuttle um, it's in Cape Canaveral I'm in Tampa it's like two two hours you know two and a half hours away um, you know I usually wake up early and do a lot of work in the morning and so I had some time in the afternoon and I'm like you know what I'm gonna go and I was like making my errands picking up supplies dropping them off at salons and I'm, like, I'm gonna go watch the space thing right and then in my mind, right, logic, I'm like, wait, you're going to drive, you know, two and a half hours. I mean, really? And then in my head, I'm like, well, you could just watch it online. So I pulled it up and I had it online playing there because they were streaming all day. And then, you know, I had that same thing. It's just like, I'm like, well, what if, you know, what if like this is the first time we're sending up in this company, SpaceX is the first time they're sending people up in a rocket um, and they're partnering with NASA and they haven't sent people to space and the exploration of space, which we're all going to be able to go to someday. Um, and this is historic. This is a historical moment. This is history that's about to be made and you're not going to go. And I'm like, well, what if, right? So boom, I drive you know, two and a half hours and like 15 minutes before the launch, they, they call it a scrub. They cancel it because the weather. And so now I got two options, right? I'm like, I'm there. I'm, you know, I could be pissed or I could, or I could just be happy. Right. So I decided to be happy because I knew like I would have been pissed if I didn't go and I did watch it online and I missed that opportunity to see uh, a piece of history um, that may never I may never get to see right so I drove all the way there you know got there they canceled made a u-turn came back and was you know two hour four hour round trip um, happy every second of it you know and and because it's like you don't know if you'll have those opportunities again so as you start thinking about that and that's just one example but going into business um, you're going into a relationship um, taking a chance trying you know, there's always going to be, if you don't do it, there's always going to be that what if. And at the end of the day, when you chalk it all up and you fast forward your life 50, 60, 70 years from now, how many what ifs do you want? You know, how many what ifs do you want to have on your on your list? And you're looking at it and you're like, well, what if? And that's where Howard was. He's like, you know, what if I don't do it? You know, and, and what he said there, all those things, whether it be a small thing or whether it be a huge thing. Um, but that, you know, that part when he said, you know, he realized what he had to do. He said, this is my moment. I thought, if I don't seize the opportunity, if I don't step out of my comfort zone and risk it all, if I let too much time tick on, my moment will pass. I knew that if I didn't take advantage of this opportunity, I would replay it in my mind my whole life, wondering, what if? Why didn't I? This was my shot. Even if it didn't work out, I still had to try it. And that's what it is. Sometimes we think things are permanent, right? Even, you know, like I'm a hairstylist, you know, do color. It's still not permanent. Even though it's permanent color, it's still not permanent. You know, things can be rewound, undone. Um, so trying things is not necessarily like a permanent, you know, a permanent thing. So you got to get out there. You got to try stuff. You know, and, and that's where life really starts. I mean, I was afraid most of my life to try things. And, you know, then I decided, you know, I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Never try, never, never go for it. Um, failing is just a part of the process. In most cases, you're going to fail more than you succeed. But guess what? Every failure, I'm learning something from it. I'm going to try it again, right? 
you know, and, and have another, you know, another success and maybe have another failure. Maybe you're having two failures for every success, but not trying, not doing, not taking the chance. Then you're sitting there wondering what if. So don't be in that boat. That's my final message today. So hopefully you guys enjoyed today's story time. Uh, pour your heart into it by Howard Schultz, CEO, chairman of Starbucks. Um, reading from that book and really learning a lot about, you know, this company would have never existed. And so next time you go or you enjoy a Starbucks coffee or you go to a Starbucks store, or you drive by a Starbucks, I want you to remember that, you know, this guy quits the company. Um, now he's going to start his own company. And we're going to find out how the story unfolds um, in tomorrow. And, you know, if he never took that chance, we wouldn't be we wouldn't be talking about it today. It would have just been a, you know, a small coffee shop in Seattle that the world may have never known. Um, so that's where we're at, guys. Um, so hopefully you'll be back tomorrow morning. I think tomorrow morning story time. Normally we're at 9 a.m. Went a little early. Um, today because we got a, a pretty busy day ahead. Um, so I came in at 8.30 today. Um, but I'm thinking it's going to be 9 tomorrow. I'll put a countdown up uh, so you guys will know. But we'll be back tomorrow morning with part 5 of the Starbucks story. So hopefully you guys will join. Invite some friends. Share the stream. Thanks for hanging out with me this morning. Hopefully you got inspired. Hopefully this is a great way to start your day with some story time wherever you're at watching this. If you're at home, if you're on the road, if you're commuting, or whether you're listening to this on the podcast. Um, thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in um, to this episode of story time. And remember, if you want to go back and check out any of the previous episodes, um, they're all on my podcast, the YFYI podcast. You can go to yfyipodcast.com and you can listen to all the episodes of Storytime and all the other episodes. There's almost 200 episodes on there um, on the yfyipodcast.com. So check that out. And then if you're interested in learning anything else about uh, my books that I've written, you can go to yourfirstyearin.com. So thanks for hanging out, guys. Um, thanks for being here. And I will see you on the next episode of Storytime. Have a great day. Hey guys, Sunny D here again. Hopefully you guys got pumped about that episode. I know there was a little cliffhanger there at the end. You're wondering what's gonna happen next. Well, don't worry, you're not gonna have to wait too long. We'll be back tomorrow for another episode. But a couple key takeaways. I mean, just thinking about the courage. Um, you've gotta have the courage to take a chance sometimes. If you're not gonna take a chance on yourself, I mean, that's the best bet you'll ever have. I mean, what are you gonna take a chance on? So just like Howard, I mean, he was back against the wall, pregnant wife, all things could have went to hell, but he stepped out on courage, on faith, on him. He bet on him, that's the best bet uh, we can ever make. So I'm excited to get back to you guys tomorrow. We're gonna have another episode. If you're able to join live on Instagram or Facebook, we should be uh, rocking and rolling at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning and uh, check out Storytime there. And I'm looking forward to coming back and getting into the next episode so we can find out how this Starbucks story unfolds. So thanks again for tuning in to the YFYI podcast, guys. And remember, this is the place where you come to learn how to build your business right once or else you will be doomed to have to build it again. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.